Alright, so what is your name? Dave and... Maeve and Dave. We rhyme. Maeve. Wonderful. Oh, the fun of having a live mic when people don't realize it. Yes, it's Maeve and Dave. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And we are joined by Will and Christopher. So Will Hollingshead and Christopher Hodgson, um, both of you are part of the crew of The Ocean Five. Um, Was that inspired by Enid Blyton? (laughs) That was it, yeah. We've got a little dog that comes along in the roads with us. <laughs> hey, there's the, there's a question. What was the dog's name? Does anyone know The sad <laughs> thing is that <laughs> we all stopped and thought about it. That's the sad thing. Um, <laughs> to give a little bit more of an introduction, uh, you two, along with three others, are planning to take part in the Talisker Atlantic Challenge, which is uh, leaving this December, I believe, and you are facing 3,000 miles of rowing across the Atlantic in a very small nutshell of um, your amazing enterprise so f- right now. Five boys in a boat alone. So taking, taking <laughs> us back, um, where did this come from? When did the five of you first kind of come together and were you all rowing, or was this a... Were you sober when you came up with the idea? <laughs> that is a good question. I'll, uh, I'll pass this one over to Will, because Will uh, has the honour of actually putting this team together. So uh, over to you, Will. So this one actually has its its roots in the super industry quite nicely. I was at a YPY event in the Monaco Yacht Club, mm-hmm. and I listened to Kevin, who's, who's one of the guys rowing with us, uh, talk, and Kevin in his career was the managing director of Porsche UK, BMW UK. He started a number of businesses and he came and he did this talk and he's also done the North Pole and the South Pole with his son, Matt. And at the end of the talk, somebody said, Kev, look, you know, you've done all this amazing stuff. What, what other adventure would you like to do? And Sorry, excuse he me. He's been, he's been head of Porsche, head of BMW, walked to the North Pole, walked to the South Pole with his son. Yeah, one of those annoying... He sounds like an utter wanker. He's one of those guys where you're like, ah. Yeah. You, you're not going to be stuck uh, in a boat with him for five weeks and telling you how great he is, are you? <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's really down to earth and he's got some great stories. Oh, that's even um, worse. That's worse. Which is even worse. Yeah. <laughs> a lovely guy on top He's probably good looking. Is he good looking as well? Oh, he's got a little bit of chub around the middle, so uh, we can give him that. <laughs> oh, you're so <laughs> envious. Well, that off. <laughs> and so I, I actually I reached out to Kev about three months after the YPY event, and I said, look, he's still interested in the Atlantic row. I've got a couple of friends who I think would be interested in it enough. <laughs> and um kev said yes and then the only two people i i could think of who would be crazy enough to do it is chris and um sam another one of the lads who i worked with on baton rouge and um we all met in sirencester and that was two years ago almost to the date and now here we are wow and uh, did any of you or did all of you have experience of rowing before this not a- Absolutely one of the things no. <laughs> okay, so uh, not just like let's do something really well, ambitious. Let's do something completely. The mechanics amb- of rowing—you don't—it's like running. You just put one foot in front of the other. Rowing. Yeah, is, that's why they made yeah. it an Olympic sport. Just, yeah, right. <laughs> 
It's oh. not that hard. I mean, some people do naturally have a little bit of a, a better technique. A lot of it comes from um, mobility in the hips and that kind of thing. But a lot of people say, oh, you know, you know, how long have you been training for something like this? And I think the advantage that we have, a lot of us on the team, is we, we are, you know, generally quite fit. We've always been into that kind of stuff. Um, but it's not like you're getting out of breath when you're rowing. It's quite slow and steady. It's not, you know, like James Kratner or in his Olympic rowing boat, absolutely puffing. It's, it's, it's a marathon, you know, it's pretty gentle. So it's more about, you know, just making sure our bodies are uh, as mobile as they can be to try and prevent injury. Um, but it's really not that uh, technically challenging, uh, to be honest, I the rowing just itself. Make a point for our listeners because they may not have gone through your Facebook page, but it didn't. I did notice that one of you has um, recently done the Ironman as of last September, which, on the scale of fitness for most of us, is like up in the higher <laughs> yeah. levels. <laughs> yeah, no. Right. <laughs> yeah, that would be Sam. Yeah, he's he's actually competed for Great Britain in um, Ironman triathlon. So, yeah, needless to say, he's, he's pretty elite. A handy one to have on board. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, I mean, have you, uh, over the past two years, because you're all in different places as well, I mean, it's not like you got to stop and just do some focused training on this. Um, are the other four of you working on super yachts and still kind of keeping the job going while doing training? How have you managed that? I'm currently the only one still working on super yachts. Uh, I've been doing temp work for the last year or so, uh, purely just because you know the commitments required to be involved in a project like this have meant that I couldn't just go off and work full time. Um, so most of my training has been, uh, a lot of it has been on board. Uh, I tend to try and work on boats that have a, a rowing machine and a crew gym. And then when I'm at home, I tend to do CrossFit stuff. I know that the other guys, they've just had to fit in their training around their sort of normal lives. But, you know, it's, can, can I ask, um, it's a few hours a day. Can, can I ask, have you all actually sat in a boat together and tried to row the thing? Yes. Are you, are, I, don't, I mean, yeah. are you going to just show up on day one? And, um, no, so we've done, we've done, to date, I think we've done about 160 hours in the boat as a team. So all together. Yeah, that's, yeah so the okay. guys started rowing in uh, yeah we did a bit of stuff on lakes up by Sirencester and then we've done a lot of stuff in the Solent uh, no, mainly launching out of Livington and then up and down the Solent I just hate the thought of you all turning up on the one day and then finding that oh god Chris has got one arm shorter than the other and you're going to be going <laughs> in circles or something you know, it's, it's the, the hardest thing of it is living on the boat it's maneuvering around each other. It's finding space in the cabin. You know, when one of you's coming on the oars, going off the oars, um, keeping the t cabins tidy, and that's going to be the hardest thing. You know, we we will be in this boat for thirty to fifty days, dependent on the weather conditions. And it'll be non-stop rowing. Two hours non-stop. Non <laughs> so, but but the boat will be always in motion. You'll always be. There'll be a team rowing. There'll always be um, at least at least two people rowing. So sometimes there'll be three people rowing at any one time, which is the maximum we can have rowing at any one time. And then the rest of the time will be two people. So the boat does not stop. It's a 24-hour thing. We don't, uh, it's quite funny sometimes. People say, oh, what did you do at night, you know? 
you sort of say, oh, you know, back and have a beer. Get, get hotel for the night and, you know, yeah. get back on in the morning. But, uh, no, it's, it's, it's nonstop. So relentless schedule, as Will said, two hours on, two hours off, which is just savage. You know, the sleep mm. deprivation alone, um, regardless of the fact that, you know, you're rowing for two hours, is um, was challenging. Because well, then presumably you're never going to have a bulk of more than about two hours to sleep at any That's stage. Yeah. You just sort of it, it's get less good enough. Because you, you have to, you come off the oars, you have to eat, you have to kind of take care of yourself. You come back in the cabin, you're a little damp, salty, you know, you don't want to sleep like that. And then when you wake up, you need to wake up, probably eat something, drink some water, get yourself ready to get back on the oars. So in one stint, I think the longest you'll probably sleep in one section is about an hour and a half. Ooh. Well, I, you know, I was telling my seven-year-old about this adventure and she went, five lads in a boat. They'd need a lot <laughs> of food and a lot of water on that and a fishing rod. And I said, well, I'm not yeah. sure if they're going to have time to do any fishing, honey. They kind of have this boat going the whole time. And then she's like, well, they're going to sure. need a lot of food. <laughs> so yeah, uh, practicality, a big thing. I mean, is do it? You, do you like sushi? <laughs> Uh, actually, do you know what? I love sushi. I, I'm thinking we should take a little fishing rod, even though you know none of us are particularly oh, into fishing. I, I, it's I, just something to break the monotony, isn't it? Uh, you, and you may find it comes in useful. If you, if sure. you lose your way, you may need sure. the fishing rod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what do you do about but, uh, food? In terms of the amount of food, it's yeah, it's, it's about five and a half to six thousand calories each a day per day. Well, yeah. what, what's that in Big Macs? <laughs> uh, put it it's <laughs> about 10. That's a good question. Yeah, I'd say it's probably 10. Uh, yeah, 10 yeah, Big Macs. Pe- people say that, oh, it's like, it's, oh, that's 6,000 calories. I have no idea what that means. The average, the average okay, well, a normal, eats about 2,500. Yeah. Okay. So a good men, two and a half 2, times what the average person is eating if they don't want to put on weight. So one... One Big Mac burger contains 540 calories. So well, over 10. 12, roughly. 12, 12 Big, Mac, Big Mac burgers per day. You're, um, you're so definitely my phone a friend. <laughs> what's what's <laughs> on the menu for the trip? A lot of dehydrated food, I would presume. Filet mignon. Yeah, that's it. We've got uh, four of those packs each a day. So each of those contain about 600 calories. We've got a variety. So there's some... Um, kind of lamb stews, curry dishes. Uh, we've got some vegan meals for our um, triathlete, Sam. He's a vegan. And then the rest of it's all made up from snacks. So uh, the last couple of weeks, all the guys have been um, out shopping, buying their favorite snacks. And it's not just about the calorie intake, which is, of course, important, but the snacks are such an important morale booster. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a bit sick of eating the same old food. You come off yours, you dive into your snack pack, and you think, oh, you know, got a nice little Mars bar here or whatever. And uh, well, um, it's know, something to look forward to. Things. If it all hits the fan, at least you have a vegan to eat. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Full of vegetables. Good planning, good planning. And I presume yeah. for water, you don't want to be carrying that volume of water, so you would have a desalinator they of make some own. sort. They're sailors, they make their own water. Yeah, so we have a, we have a, a water maker on board. Um, What's her name? Is... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Like Will said, make all our water. There's no way you could carry that much, but we do have to carry an emergency supply of water because if our water maker was to fail for whatever reason, um, you know, you need, you need water. Backup. Obviously, going to not last long at water. So you can use that emergency water, and, and with the idea being that it just buys you enough time to get your water maker fixed again. There's no way it's going to get you across. It'll last, you know, a couple of days max. Oh, what's your route are you taking? Where, where are you leaving from? Are you going North Atlantic? What, what, what's your plan? Um, it's Just head, sort of head west and keep going? So, so that's, we start in the Canary Islands. So uh, the, it's called the island of La Gomera, which is quite mm-hmm. close to Tenerife. And we finish in Antigua, in the Caribbean. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Uh, When do you plan to get into Antigua? I would say, if all goes well, we'd be looking at around the 20-something of January. And Sorry, when do you leave? On the 12th of December. Wow. That's... Pretty darn fast. You know, if you consider it historically, I I say this because my parents on their honeymoon took took the crossing across from New New York to um, to Ireland. You know, in those those long passages, which took at least a week of full engines going. QE two or something. um, Right. That you can just do it by manpower of five men within. Five weeks, more well, or less. Four men, a vegan, and an iron, <laughs> an iron maiden. Yeah, five five weeks would be would be fantastic. I think, yeah, forty is probably um, a, a rough estimate. Anything quicker would be fantastic. The world record was actually set two years ago, and it was a four man team. They did it in twenty nine days, oh. which was uh, phenomenal, very very fast. And how many other people are competing in the uh, in the Talisker? race this year is actually one of the busiest years they've got i think there's about 46 teams um usually what they have is they have a few teams who drop off they can't get the money together the team together uh, or the boat together in time to make the race so they kind of they do work on roughly 30 to 40 teams each year uh but this year is almost all the teams have come together and said we're we're ready to rock and roll so lagomera is going to be really busy uh, there's going to be an amazing atmosphere there before mm. the race. And it's a case of finding a three-day weather window around that kind of 10th, 12th, 14th of December. And once and we get that, then all the teams set off. And they all set off at the same time? So the, the fives set off, then the fours, the threes, the twos, and then the solos. Uh, but everyone sets off basically one after another. And as you do your crossing, I mean, how far... Uh, do you get support vehicles? I mean, when you think of a bike race, you've got support vehicles going along. Is it similar with this? Yeah, if so there's, there's boats in trouble, they've kind of got... Kind of, yeah. There's two uh, sailing yachts, uh, roughly about 40 feet. They're the two support vessels for the whole um, for the whole race. But if you think, as Will said, you've got 40-odd teams... And the, you know, you've got the fours versus the solos, you soon split up quite quickly. Mm. So within not much time at all, you know, the, the, the fleet is potentially spread hundreds of miles apart. Um, that obviously increases as the race goes on. So there are two dedicated, um, you know, support yachts. But 
again, you could be days away from them. It's not like they're just, you know, hanging off 100 meters off your stern. Um, you know, they, they're not really sort of right there. So you very much are on your own and they're only to be used for absolute emergencies. You can't actually take any support, um, you know, in terms of food or anything. If somebody you know, gets scared or whatever and decides they don't want to be here, then, you know, it's sort of, over for the team uh, do you have a life raft or something like that i mean if something happens to your robot do you have a, a kind of second option as a yeah, father a i'm asking these questions yeah, we have a we have a six man uh six man life raft on the boat uh, so the other question my seven-year-old wanted to know is how do you know where you're going because it would be very unfortunate if you ended up in the bermuda triangle which which <laughs> obviously because you wouldn't she's the optimistic that's the optimistic daughter yeah that's a good question it's a good question um so we have some pretty good uh um, technology on board for navigation as good as a you know a small powerboat or a sailing yacht something like that so we've got gps we've got chart plotter um i'm certainly going to be looking at where the sun's rising and setting the sort of basic uh, celestial nav um but we've also got a weather router. So we've got a, a shore-based guy who we're going to use. And that not only gives us, hopefully, the, you know, the safest route, but also um, a, a competitive route. So it is a race at the end of the day, and we want to do it competitively. And, um, and he's, he's land-based. He's land-based over in the Isle of Wight. So he's going to be looking at what the weather's doing, trying to keep us out of the, um, uh, the unfavorable stuff, which would be headwinds and hopefully put us in some good spots with so nice tailwinds behind us. Communications-wise, you'll have, what, a sat phone or a small satellite connection? That's it. you got it. Uh, we've got a couple of sat phones, so one is our main one and then a backup. And uh, we're also going to be using a small device called a, a Garmin inReach, which you can link up to your phone, so you can actually use your phone as a, um, an emailing or a texting device, okay. cool. which is quite smart. Because I, I imagine, even though there's the team of five of you together, um, anyone who's done any camping holidays, it, it would be nice, I'd imagine, to also just be able to touch base every now and then with friends or family or yeah, kind of get that supported. I, I think so. But then I also think it, it's, it's not something you want to be doing too frequently. You know, Part of the challenge, and certainly for me, part of the appeal is the isolation um you know you're not going to be calling home every every day what are you up to oh mm. you know rowing <laughs> same as yesterday another six hours um, so you maybe touch base once a week or something but i don't think there's any intentions to you know really be having long conversations with anyone at home and it's the cost factor as well you know yeah. satellite phone each call you make is quite expensive mm. indeed so um one of the big um, benefits or beneficiaries from this epic adventure of yours is um, looking at making the ocean a better place. And you picked a plastic, plastic soup uh, foundation. Plastic soup foundation. So what, what made you decide on that? Was it kind of a group decision when you were trying to go, okay, if we're going to do something this big, let's see what money we can raise and where does that go? What made you choose exactly. for this? We, right, well, two, two years ago when we were looking into it, we were, um, all of us have got ties into the maritime industry in different ways, shape or form. And it was when the 
the issues of plastic were really kind of just starting to kind of gain momentum. And I started looking for different charities that we could support and basically making phone calls, talking to people. I got connected to Anne-Marie, who is the kind of the general manager, well, the, the managing director of, of Plastic Soup. And she's actually, she's a rower herself. We got on really well. Uh, and what was great about Plastic Soup was they do some really, really amazing work. Uh, we've got lots of different initiatives and we could make an impact on them and, and, and make a big difference to the amount of money that they, that they raise. They are, are they a UK-based charity or they're, they're kind a of Dutch global anyway? They're a Dutch-based charity, but they have a, a global reach. Hmm, I've never heard of them, but... But I, I mean, imagine, I mean, it's, it's one of the things that comes up a lot now in our industry. And because we're all tied to the water, you know, whether you're here in Mallorca and doing beach cleans or <laughs> sailing across the Atlantic, it is something we are pertinently aware of. And I think um, all of us have got to keep giving it energy in different segments. Um, so I fully understand why plastics would be with a maritime background, one of your your big topics. What was the reaction from your 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 family? I mean, was the the initial one you're crazy? Please don't do this. <laughs> uh, yeah, very much so. Actually, uh, Will will remember it quite well because I think he was over at my house when uh, we first announced to my uh, parents that we were going to do it. And uh, my dad's a sailor himself, so he you know he understands the the sea and the dangers that potentially comes with that and he just said first words were don't do it <laughs> he was so so anti it and i said you know why dad why are you so anti this it's it's something that really um is inspiring me and i really want to do it and he said i don't want you to put yourself through that <laughs> i see his perspective <laughs> yeah, okay. i'm sure from his perspective <laughs> you only use those boats when your proper big boat doesn't work anymore <laughs> That's when you get in right. the rowboat. Yeah. <laughs> That's like yeah, and I fully understand where he's coming from. And, uh, you know, we all know how tough this is going to be. And, it, you know, that's kind of the appeal about it in some ways. If it was easy, then, you know, what's the fun in that? Um, but I certainly understand his concerns. But I must say, as the years have gone on, uh, this is going back two years when we first decided to do it, I think the um, worry has... It's not completely gone, but it, it's it's certainly gone a little bit, and it's turned into a bit more excitement. And uh, I, he's definitely proud. There's, I can certainly see that. You know, I know he tells his friends and um, stuff that what I'm doing and what we're doing. So I'm glad that he's uh, he feels that way. So I can tell you've no children when you say things like, "Well, what's the fun in doing something if it's easy?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have some children tell no me children. the same thing afterwards. So, <laughs> Easy's great. In in I, I mean there's a lot of physical training to get ready for this, but um mental bit, as well. I was gonna say, do you do you have in play something for the mental training of, you know, a bit like trying to beat jet lag in advance by switching your clock or um trying to see over a weekend how you survive on on Two hours. Well, imagine being or... a guy is actually a big help because 
where women have to sit around talking of things of substance, guys can sit around and talk about utter shite. So sticking five guys. I think. In the, um, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'm just going to say, being friends with Will for the last ten years has been mentally challenged enough. So uh, I'm feeling all right about it. <laughs> we actually, we we, uh, we shared we shared a cabin together on the first super I worked on. So. Um, Good we've start. done a lot of time both together we've uh, as a, as a team of five we've done a lot of two hours on two hours off to kind of know it and the, so you and Chris have had a lot of intimate time we, we've had a lot of intimate time <laughs> together um that's gonna come in handy it's gonna be, it's gonna be horrible you know the the, the road is gonna be horrible it's gonna be mentally challenging and I think if you go in knowing right it's gonna be it's gonna be bad but it's just a case of take every two-hour row as it comes yeah. and know your teammates and spend enough time with them beforehand that you know when somebody's tired, grumpy, you know, where you can push and toe that line. And as a team, I think we're in a really good place in terms of there's nobody that any of us have, have misgivings about. Well, I... Was just thinking about. Um, I don't know if you have heard about Shirley Thompson, who is an Irish woman who is not doing the Talisker race, but she is planning to row across the Atlantic at her own pace. Um, she's figuring it'll take her about a hundred days, and she set off last year. Uh, had unfortunate events with her boat, which meant she didn't get very far. She's heading off again this winter as well. Um, but one of the things she said is when she finally got out. And, and kind of got through the first sort of five or ten days. The amazing experience of just open water and the row and that space and that experience, I'm sure there's going to be part of that massive experience of being that close to the water and just moving by sheer body force alone that will have to out out pace a little bit the exhaustion and the, the time clock schedule oh for sure yeah and you know having read a few books of people that have um, done this expedition and I've actually just been watching um, a YouTube documentary on James Cracknell and Ben Fogel yeah. they did it back in 2005 um, you should try Robinson Crusoe you know, as well that's a good read yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's going to be extremes of lows and highs. I think that's probably going to be the best way to describe it. You know, there's no doubt it's going to be tough. We've already talked about that. But um, as Maeve just said, there's going to be times when you're out there in the middle of the night. You've got a you know perfectly star-dressed sky and it'll be calm, and it'll just be you know such a unique experience that very few people have been lucky enough to um, experience themselves. And you know, think of the moments when we'll have whales next to us and dolphins and, you know, all those highs that hopefully will um, balance out the low moments. So just on, on highs and lows, um, one of the big issues is I, I do understand you've got someone kind of tracking the weather, but sometimes weather, as you know, takes a hold in a way that's not expected. And with the Atlantic, you can be facing up to 60-foot waves. Is there a way you can 
kind of if you really avoid them. <laughs> hit a major storm <laughs> that you can kind of close up the boat, so to speak, and just knuckle down you mean and create a cocoon <laughs> yeah, in which you can I, hide. I will be <laughs> in, tucked in the uh, furthest the corner in that storm. Do you have hiding <laughs> space with you? We do have hiding space. So the the boat we have is a it's a, a Rannick boat, and it's it's been designed to be pretty much bombproof. Um, if we get inside, we close up the hatches and we can, if, if the weather system is pushing us to the right direction, perfect. If it's, if we're going to go headwinds, as Chris said, then because of the way the boats are designed, they're not great going into a headwind. And in that situation, it'd be a case of putting out the power anchor and then closing everything up and just waiting for the, the wind to basically switch to direction. Okay. So just for people that might not necessarily understand what the power anchor is, it's um, it's a large, um, I guess it's very much like a parachute, probably three meters across. Um, we can deploy that. That goes off the bow of the boat on a long line. So that holds the boat with the uh, bow into the wind, and it basically stops us getting blown back too much the wrong way. And because the bow is facing into the, the weather and the waves, it just sort of it comes around us, you know, rather than being side on to the waves where we're much more likely to get capsized. Uh, have you practiced flying kites? My memory was not so great as a kid. They never seemed to take off from me. Because <laughs> you know, if you get strong winds, you, you want to be there making sure you... Um, my other question that I was wondering is, do you have spare oars? <laughs> silly, you yeah. always see that in movies they drop the oar and then they're stuck or they only right. one or you know um can you do you have enough space to bring one or two spares just in case we do or are they yes. really well so we attached? Gotta have it, <laughs> we're gonna have at least two spare sets so we've got three sets for normal operation and then uh, two spare sets of oars as well. Oh, are they like carbon fiber? Are they like a super light ore? They uh, the traditional. Yeah, carbon fiber. Very very fancy pieces of kit. I think each oar is about eight hundred pounds. So uh, joking. They um they don't come cheap. Yeah. Well, just don't drop one over. Want to uh, yeah. get your money back on those Everything's guys. secured down. You know, every, even you know your drinking bottles. Um, you know, uh, pee bottles. We got a pee in a bottle, by the way, which is. You got a whole amazing. ocean there. You got um, five guys in a whole ocean. Where are you got a well, bottle? Seriously. You know, you think you think. Why don't you just pee over the side? But you have not been in this boat. It's it's. I don't like to say it's unstable because my dad will freak out. But uh, <laughs> if you lean over the side, it's wobbly. Pee, it's wobbly. Yeah, it's wobbly. Okay. And you know, um, there are there are more sailors that have gone overboard because of peeing off the back of a boat than of anything else. Well, make sure you got a wide neck bottle. Don't make the mistake I made once. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, you don't want a jagged small one. That's that's well. Thank you. That's that's what God gave me. But um, <laughs> that's that's a different show. We'll we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But the key is not to get your pee bottle muddled up with your drinking bottle. Oh, no. Uh, Chris, Chris, make sure you label your bottle. Um, And then I presume the other big task on this whole project was um, getting, from the sounds of of the cost of an oar, was getting sponsorship together to put the whole thing together. 
Has, has that been a challenge? Do you have sponsors on board that have helped supply the food or the communications or stuff like that? It's been, it's been uh, the way I look at it or the way I kind of describe it to people is it, it's like having a part-time job, not just in the case of kind of getting yourself fit enough and getting all the stuff for the boat and all that kind of stuff. Getting the sponsorship and getting ourselves to events, and yeah, we went along to a lot of the David Lloyd gyms, and we had the boat in front of that and talked to their clientele. Uh, we were at the SeaWorks event in Southampton, and the the uh, organisers of the SeaWork were amazing at kind of giving us the space to have the boat and our banner ads and that kind of stuff. Um, and then we've just talked to a lot of companies, and the response has been has been brilliant. Um, actually. In the super yacht industry, uh, motor yacht cloud break, uh, 70 meter yacht, the second officer of the yacht reached out to me through LinkedIn, uh, through some of my posts and actually came on board. Uh, they've come on board as, as one of our kind of sponsors. There's a company called Total Mobile who have a workforce management system and they're based in, uh, in Belfast in Ireland. And they're actually, they've become kind of our title sponsor. So, yes, it has, there's been a lot of organization around the sponsorship and a lot of work. But the response has been amazing from some of the businesses that have ended up supporting us. So, do, do you see the, the, the money you're getting from sponsorship as sponsorship or do you view it as people betting on you? To me, it's, you know, if I was giving money, I'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll put, what's the odds? Five to one? I'll take that. i tell you what, Dave, we'll give you, you, we'll give you five to one and see if you to come on board as a sponsor. Good one. Uh, and, and they don't eat the vegan. Uh, exactly. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> Are you looking forward to it? You must be. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You paused. You paused. You took um, a moment. <laughs> you know, there's obviously some. Well, there's some apprehension, of course. I think you'd have to be a little bit um, totally mad if there was no no fear factor at all. But uh, I think the excitement definitely outweighs the fear right now. That might not be the same when we're staring at a 60 foot wave, but right now it's uh, certainly excitement, which is uh, the main feeling. You will text me at that moment when the 60 foot wave is there. Just to- <laughs> We've been building this up for two, two, almost two and a half years now. And, you know, it, I think we're all just, uh, we're ready for it. You know, we've mm. been talking about it. We've all put the work in, the training, the, the sponsorship. And, you know, now's our moment. We're ready Great. to get on with it. It's not just a way out of Brexit then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I just say I would imagine by the end of um, January although you probably will all be very happy to have some downtime after it but I would imagine for all of you this will stay as a major experience in life and a major bonding one because I cannot imagine spending 50 days in that sort of space yep with the same motivation and the same goal and that not create or you very m- deep ties. may do the, what's the opposite to bond? <laughs> so you can't, you can't wait to get all that There is that small possibility. some really interesting stories of it going either one or the other way. So some of the teams of, you know, it's lifelong friendships. It's something, you know, this experience that is a once in a lifetime experience that you share for the rest of your life. And then there's other teams you've spoken to and, and kind of heard about and, 
they haven't spoken since. Well, when you got to share a pee bottle, um, it, it's a defining moment. <laughs> exactly, yeah. sharing a pee bottle, spooning in a cabin, yeah. down the face of a 60-foot wave, you know, it, yeah. it either makes you or breaks you. Yeah, you'll either come back as very changed men, you might even form a, a group like YMCA, who knows? <laughs> Oh dear. Well, um, how are you getting back, by the way? When you get your boat all the way over there, do you have to row back? Oh, we'll row back, Dave. You want <laughs> you're going to row back? <laughs> now, what is the plan now? What, what, what do you do with the boat and stuff? I presume you're going to fly back, unless you want to row back. Um, no, we, we will fly back, and the, the boat is being shipped back. Um, so that's all sorted out by the, the manufacturers of the boat, Rannick. Okay. Well, but we'll definitely be enjoying some uh, downtime in Antigua. There's no doubt about that. And all of our friends and families will uh, make the effort to get over there. And, you know, I think what would be great as well is, you know, not only for when we come in will be amazing, but watching other teams come in and being part of their uh, their whole experience as well. So well, make sure you very, get there first so you can greet all the others as they arrive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Simple plan. <laughs> yeah. Or we get there last and everyone else can greet us. Indeed, True. they've got oh, the party started. Good, good point. Just stay, stay <laughs> out of anchor. And you have the whole crowd coming in then. <laughs> Just stay out of anchor. What's the problem with that? Bigger party. Uh, I would imagine it will be either any which way. It would be an amazing homecoming. Because um, sure. if nothing else, just that sight of land and achieve that goal um, must be just exhilarating. On top of the oh, fact that you're probably yeah. so happy to get off the boat and walk around and just yeah. you know change rhythm, um, I think it's it's going to be quite a surreal experience. You know, not you know the extreme highs of actually stepping on land and the welcome party, and uh, but I think you know the days after that, you, I've heard stories of guys you know and they they because you you're, you're on this relentless sleep pattern. You, you don't mm. just drop out of it. You know, you, you're waking up in the middle of the night and there's guys rowing in their beds. They're getting up. They don't know where they are. You can't quite walk properly because your muscles have changed while you're on the boat. So it's going to be um, quite an interesting experience, the well, recovery. Probably be a while before you can drive a car safely because you'll be kind of pulling the steering wheel back and forward. And, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Peeing yeah. in a bottle. <laughs> in the car. Sorry? <laughs> And peeing in your bottle in the car. Well, the, the, the first time I ever heard that concept was a taxi guy in a, when I was at Flibs a couple of years ago. And he, he proudly was showing me this bottle, which was his pee bottle, so he didn't have to get out of his cab. I never heard <laughs> of one before that. So, Brilliant. Yeah. I, miss, I didn't, miss an outdate. Last time I got Uber, anyway. <laughs> Well, um, Will and Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been um, tremendous fun listening about your adventure. How do, how do we get updates? I want to keep up to date and tell people how you're doing and how do far you've gone. Do you have someone doing weather website? and social media for you on, on that? Yeah, so, uh, we have a social media manager who's actually Kevin's daughter, Sarah, and she will be keeping all of our social media pages up to date. Uh, so we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, you can go via the website as well. And actually, during the race, we will have a, uh, a basically a, a locator on the boat, which will which links to the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge website, and you can actually see 
you know, the the course of the boat going going across the Atlantic. So there's a lot oh. of ways for people to kind of track us and keep track of us. Um, do Talisco whiskey kind of if you win the race, do they give you like a lifetime supply of whiskey or anything? Oh. Don't go there. They're this probably... is a sore subject. Because <laughs> <laughs> they've got 40 people we... plus, you know, 40 boats signed up. Um, I, usually the end goal is some amazing prize. Uh, but right. for you guys, That's... it's just doing the journey and raising awareness and funding. But is there a prize for the, like, top three? No, I want the whiskey. I want the whiskey. <laughs> but um, as far as I'm aware, there is not a lifetime supply of whiskey. I don't even think there's a crate full of whiskey. Is there a weekend? There might no? be a bottle at a push. But, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what we can wangle out of them. I, I was going to say, I, I think that's a great deal. You know, you get people to sign up for a rowing race and, and you don't You'd have to You'd want to like whiskey, price. though. You'd want to like You, you would. <laughs> Or you can just give it to as Christmas presents for the rest of your life. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> to your six-year-old daughter, why did Santa bring me whiskey, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that in your letter? <laughs> oh, well, um, and the start date is December... 12th? December the 12th. December the 12th. December the 12th, and hopefully getting air to Antigua by January 20th-ish. And, and around then, yeah. Last question: Did they pack like a little Christmas dinner for you Christmas by pudding, any chance? That just pudding. like on Christmas Day, you can have a little. Did Christmas you bring your Santa sock with you? Have you got a Santa sock? <laughs> so there's, there's some actually some. So we've got Christmas dinner, which we are planning on on doing, and it's also going to be Chris's birthday when we're out there. So, you know, we'll have to take a few presents for each other. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Damn right. Well, just, you know, in some ways, I think you, you still psychologically probably want to mark the day, whether you're in the middle of the an just, Atlantic just or not. Just wrap up a mackerel for him. He'll be thrilled. Look, <laughs> I caught this for you this morning. Sure, I think so, yeah. Just to, you know, break up the routine a little bit and, um, you know, have a break off the oars for five minutes. Yeah. yeah. I've already said that there's no mistletoe allowed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit clear. You want to check bags because somebody will smuggle some on. And uh, <laughs> that long at sea, you just might be glad of it. So. Well, it just um, it reminded me there was a Frenchman last year who went across oh, in a barrel. barrel. Yeah. Only a barrel. A wine barrel. Um, he a got wine into barrel. a wine barrel. A sophisticated wine barrel. I mean, it looked a little bit like a space pod, to be honest. But he did actually just bring a fishing rod, a bottle of wine, and some faux gras for, for gras. Yeah. Uh, Christmas. And, and he made it. I, I think that was it. And he made it. He just bobbed he, his way across. So, you know, the tides will take you any which way. <laughs> but eventually. I, I was amused. See, people that, call us mad, but I know. that to me is bonkers. And he was in his 70s. So, you know, and wow. he just went fishing every day. And that's how he <laughs> But I'd, I'd say that was really annoying to other rowers who didn't quite make it across. Um, yeah. A lot of them were scoffing him, going, "Oh, that crazy Frenchman in a wine barrel," and he made it. <laughs> so uh, you can't knock him too much. And Fair yeah, play. bad bad weather. He just closed the hatch and rolled around in it. Yeah, strapped himself in. Fair play. I think you'd need a strong <laughs> stomach, though. Uh, yes. Anyway, oh, yes. guys, uh, a great endeavor. We will keep uh, track of you, and uh, looking forward to speaking to you when you finish. Or if Thank you want to give us another shout-in before yeah, you if, go. If you have time before have we update. go. 
that'd be great. Yeah, let's do it. Lovely. Well, uh, you have been listening to Will Hollingshead and Christopher Hodson, who are part of the Ocean 5 team, a group of five guys who are rowing 3,000 kilometers across the Atlantic this December uh, as part of the Talis... La, Talisker. Okay. <laughs> I need a bit of whiskey to get that one off. Talisker with Atlantic <laughs> Challenge. Um, the very, very best of luck with you. If anyone wants to follow them, sponsor them, help them along, uh, donate some. <laughs> Give them advice, talk them out of it. Plastic Soup Foundation. Um, <laughs> you can find them on social media and online under what, what's the your Ocean webpage? 5. Ocean, the Ocean 5, number 5 or F-I-V-E? The Ocean 5, yet yeah, with the number 5. Dot com uh, and one thing we do have and that we're still pushing really hard is we have the 250 club and this is where people can actually donate to us it's 250 pound but we will actually engrave your name onto a piece of stainless steel which will be fitted on the boat and we will row your name across the atlantic ocean how cool and all it costs is 250 pounds and all it costs is 250 quid and you get a picture of chris you know, smiling as well. I'll throw that. <laughs> I'll Worth just, way more than that. I, I'm just going to download the picture for, for now. <laughs> um, been good talking to you guys. And uh, let's Fantastic. talk, let's talk before so you go. Fantastic. Thanks for having us. No, it's an absolute Thanks, pleasure. Dave, mate. Oh, lovely to hear you both. Best of luck in the next two months. And uh, hopefully we'll catch you before you go. Definitely. Good. You're All listening. right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. This is Super Yacht Radio.